Good morning. Welcome to Hiawatha. So this summer, one of our pastors, Chris Walker, has been on sabbatical. And because of that, the other elders have gotten some opportunities to preach. Chris will be back next week. So this is the last of those summer sermons. We are currently in the Gospel of Matthew, but we're taking a break from that for a couple weeks. And so uh, when Spencer asked me if I wanted to preach this morning, he said it would be an open mic sermon, meaning whoever's preaching can kind of pick what they want. And I learned you have to be careful what you say to people. Uh, Back in January, when I became an elder, Spencer and I were talking just kind of shooting the breeze and talking about like dream sermons. If you could preach any topic, what would it be? And we both listed off three or four. And so when Spencer offered me this, he's like, you know, I remember when we were talking in January and you said singleness was one of the ones you'd like to preach. That might be a good one for this. I thought, well, I'd love to preach that, but I don't know if I really have a whole sermon worth of stuff to say on that. Uh, So let's hope I do. So it is an open mic, and the topic is singleness. The main text is going to be about 10 selected verses from 1 Corinthians 7. In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul addresses a bunch of different issues about, around sex and relationships, and singleness is one of them, but he kind of mixes them in, so we're going to be kind of jumping around a little bit. But a few things to preface the sermon with. Uh, first, I am single. 35, been single my whole life, but don't think that just because I'm standing up here saying these things from Scripture that I've got this all figured out or that singleness is always easy for me. Sometimes it's really easy and I look at my married friends and think, man, I'm glad I'm not married. (laughs) And sometimes it's really hard and I look at my married friends and think, man, I really wish I was married. So uh, like anyone, whether you're married or single, whatever place you're in in life, there are times that are easy and there are times that are difficult. Uh, Also, for those in the room who are married, since this is a sermon more focused on singleness, there will be a few things for you, but the majority of the sermon isn't exactly for you. I mean, it's the Word of God, so there's always something for you. But if you feel a little slighted, don't take it personally. And uh, if you go back through the Matthew sermons, there have been multiple sermons that talked about marriage. So you've gotten your fill. Uh, (laughs) It's nothing personal. So, since we're talking about singleness, we're, of course, going to start by talking about marriage. Uh, Singleness is a really weird topic to preach on biblically, because there are really only two places in Scripture that talk about it, and it's not really the main topic in either place. 1 Corinthians 7, it's one of the main topics. Jesus also mentions it in Matthew. We're not going to look at those verses today, but it's kind of an aside point to the main topic he's talking about. Because singleness, as we know, it didn't really exist back in Bible times. Almost everyone was married. If you weren't married, it probably wasn't by choice. It was because your spouse had died, so you used to be married and now you weren't. Or um, because of past sins, you were labeled in such a way that people didn't want you. And so even though you wanted to get married, no one would take you. Or you might have had different uh, diseases or other things for Uh, The Jewish people, according to Old Testament law, meant you were unclean and so couldn't get married and have a marriage relationship with someone. So scripture doesn't talk a lot about it. Uh, So because of that, we have to talk some about marriage to talk about singleness because they're tied together. So marriage is good. Some of the things I'm going to say, some of the things Paul writes 
can make it sound like he's saying marriage is not really that great of an option. Like it's kind of the second choice. If you couldn't handle being single, then go ahead and get married if you have to. That's not the case. Marriage is good. Genesis 1.31, God saw everything he had made and behold, it was very good. Uh, Men, women, and marriage is part of what he made. And it was not just good, it was very good. Those of you who are married, I'm sure would agree with that statement. Proverbs 18.22, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Marriage is a good thing. A chapter later in Proverbs, it calls marriage a gift from God. And it's not just a gift, but if you have a spouse, you have obtained favor from the Lord. That's a gift, an act of favor that God has given you. And so you see marriage at the beginning in Genesis. You see it throughout the Bible. I took the Proverbs one because it was short and fit on the screen with the other ones. But there are literally hundreds of verses that could have gone there uh, holding up the value of marriage. And you see marriage at the end. In Revelation 19, uh, the Apostle John, who's having a vision of a lot of different things, sees Jesus Christ. After everything is said and done, he's finally wiped out sin. He's gathered his people. He's judged all the people who have ever lived throughout history. And now those who have believed in him are going to enter uh, into his kingdom and spend eternity with him. And the picture that is used is the picture of a marriage with Jesus as the groom and the church as his bride. And so John gets this really cool description of that. And then at the end, uh, the angel, and the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. So marriage is something you see in Revelation. And it's interesting that marriage is something that will actually continue into eternity. Once human history is all wrapped up and everything's said and done, when Jesus Christ returns, marriage will still exist. Uh, People will not be married to their human spouses. We will all be married to Jesus. And if that sounds a little weird, that's because it is a little weird. But only because we don't understand it. It won't actually be weird in the moment. And it is partly metaphorical. It's not like Jesus is going to be trying to make out with you or something like that. (laughs) That would be really gross. So it won't be like that. So a couple things. One, marriage is very good. It existed before sin. In Genesis 1, sin has not yet entered the world. So marriage is not something God gave after sin entered the world. And he's like, okay, now you've got all these temptations to deal with. I'll give you marriage to handle them. No, marriage was part of God's design before sin. Marriage is an act of favor from God. It's a gift. And just as marriage existed at the beginning, it exists at the end and on into eternity. Marriage is a great thing. But this is not a sermon on marriage. So, 1 Corinthians 7, verses 7 through 9, the first chunk that we're going to look at with singleness. Uh, This is Paul writing, the Apostle Paul, and we're going to look at four things from these verses. Verse 7, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So the first thing we're going to hit on is Paul's wish. Paul has a wish. He wishes that everyone was as he himself is in verse 7. And in verse 8, he tells us what he means by that. He is single. 
and he wishes that everyone is single. So it would be like Paul standing up here, and he's not just saying he hopes that the people who are single would remain single. It would be like if Paul was here, standing up here, he looks out and he says to everyone, all of you who are married and single, I wish that every one of you was single like I am. Which seems like a really weird thing to say when we just saw that marriage is this great gift from God that he designed and gave. So there seems to be a little bit of tension there. And we'll talk about that a little bit later in a passage that uh, brings some of that to the surface. We'll also talk about why Paul wishes everyone was single. He doesn't say that in this passage. He will a little later in the chapter, and we'll look at that. He has some very specific reasons. But Paul wishes that everyone was single. But he also recognizes that, that that is not the reality of life. He recognizes that that is not going to be the case. As he says in the end of 7, But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. So Paul says, I wish that everyone was single, but that's not going to happen. Because everyone has their own gift from God. One has one gift and one has another. And throughout Scripture, when it talks about gifts, it talks about a lot of different things. Right here, the gifts it's talking about are singleness and marriage. So Paul says, everyone has either the gift of singleness or the gift of marriage. So of course, everyone's not going to be single because not everyone has that gift. A few things with that. One, the idea that singleness and marriage are not gifts. Or, are not gifts, wow. Wow. Singleness and marriage are both gifts. So it's not as if one of those is a gift and the other is kind of the leftover option. Well, if you can't have the gift, at least you can have something. No, both of those are gifts from God. So if you are married in this room, you are married because God has given you the gift of marriage. Your spouse is a gift from God. There are times where your spouse may not feel like a gift from God, but they are. Your spouse is a gift from God. If you're in this room right now and you're single... That is a gift from God. Singleness and marriage are also kind of weird in terms of gifts um, for a few reasons. We'll get to that in a minute. So first, let's look at, all right, so God gives gifts. So generally speaking, not just with singleness and marriage, what is true about the types of gifts that God gives? What type of gift giver is God? Matthew 7, Jesus is speaking. He says, Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? So if your child comes up to you and says, I'm hungry, which of you as parents will say, here, eat this rock? Or comes up and says, you know, I'm hungry. Can I have something to eat, some fish or something? Says, here, play with this poisonous snake. No one. Of course not. You'll give them food. And Jesus says, if you, though you are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So God is like a parent. If you ask God for something, he's not going to give you the spiritual equivalent of a rock when you're hungry for food. He's not going to give you the equivalent of a snake that's going to bite you and poison you and hurt you. He gives good gifts. James 1 says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift And every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who is God the Father, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. That last part there, there is no variation. So God gives good gifts, 
But it's not just that he gives good gifts, he doesn't change. So it's not like he's going to give you the gift of marriage today, and then a year later there will be some variation or change in him, and he'll say, you know, I gave you a wife, or I gave you a husband, but really, that was kind of a mistake. Sorry about that, we'll see what we can do. Or he's not going to give you the gift of singleness, and say a year later, ooh, you know, I gave you that, but I kind of messed up there. (laughs) Sorry about that, but you know, we'll do something about it. No, God gives good gifts, his gifts are perfect, and there's no variation or shadow due to change. God gives many, many gifts. There are some gifts that every person who has lived and does live experience. Scripture talks about how God makes it rain all over the world, and he gives rain both to people who love him and people who hate him. The sun rises and shines on the whole earth. It shines on people who love God and hate God. God provides food for people all over the world, people who love him and hate him. So there are some gifts that everyone gets. It doesn't matter what your relationship with God is, what you think of God. If you don't believe God exists, there are gifts that everyone receives. That's how good God is, that he's generous even to those who hate him and don't love him. There are some gifts that are available to all, but not all take advantage of. Salvation, obviously, is the greatest example of that that those apart from Christ are enemies of God, and God has given the gift of his Son to provide a way to heal that enmity between God and people. There are spiritual gifts that are talked about in the New Testament, things like preaching and teaching, hospitality, prophecy, lots of different things. And those gifts God gives uh, everyone who's a believer has a spiritual gift, but they don't all have the same one. I have the gift of preaching and teaching. Right now I'm using that, giving this sermon. Not everyone here has that. Some people, the thought of getting up here and giving a sermon is just terrifying. They think, who would ever want to do that? That doesn't sound enjoyable. That doesn't sound like it would be something that would increase my relationship with God. You probably don't have the spiritual gift of teaching and preaching. Some people, their thought is with hospitality. Man, I just love having people over. I love to entertain people. I love to host people. I love to make people feel comfortable in my home. To me, I enjoy doing some of that, but the thought of doing that all the time, it's like, oh, people in my home all the time. No, 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 no. So God gives different spiritual gifts to different people. Singleness and marriage are a little weird because everyone who's born starts with the gift of singleness. Kids, you know, when they're four, five, six years old, I mean, they may think about marriage some, they may ask questions about it, but they don't pine away after it. They don't every moment think, man, I really wish I was married now. Why hasn't God given me a spouse? What is wrong? Why can't I just be married now? No, kids don't think about that. They don't care about that. Everyone starts with the gift of singleness. And then scripture teaches and experience confirms most people through the course of their life, God switches that, takes the gift of singleness from them, and gives them the gift of marriage. Now, like James talks about, it's not that God made a mistake that there's a shadow of change or variation. It's that the nature of singleness and marriage, for most people, God gives them singleness at the beginning of their lives for various reasons. And then as they grow older, God changes that and gives them the gift of marriage for other reasons. And both of those bring him glory in different ways. For some people, God does not give the gift of marriage as they get older. they stay and remain with the gift of singleness. That can cause some tension, though, because people who have the gift of singleness 
are still made male and female, are still designed as Adam and Eve were designed before the fall. So people who have the gift of singleness, that doesn't mean, if you have the gift of singleness, that you have zero desire for marriage in your life, or that you're not attracted to people, or that you don't have a desire for sex and for intimacy. People kind of have this false idea sometimes that, okay, I have the gift of singleness, so that means all those desires, God's going to completely shut off and take away. But that's not what this passage teaches. Look at what Paul says next. So he says, I wish everyone was single like me. Uh, For those who are single and those who are widows or widowers, those who were married but are now single, it's good for them to stay single like I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. So he doesn't say, but if you have any desire at all to be married or for marriage type of intimacy, you should get married. He assumes that everyone has that. Because what he talks about is not having or not having desire, but he talks about self-control. How is that desire handled in your life? If they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. The reason why, it is better to marry than to burn with passion. And we'll talk in a few minutes about what does that mean to burn with passion. But self-control. Proverbs says, A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. So think about a city that has walls around it to defend it, and those walls are torn down. Now, all the good stuff that's in the city is still present. There are still goods in the city to buy and sell. There's still food. All the things you would want in a city are still present. But without the walls, there's no control of access. People just wander in and out. They take whatever they want. They leave. There's no control. And that's the picture of someone without self-control. So you've got desires within you that aren't bad, but without self-control, it's like you don't have that wall. You don't have that filter for access, for what's appropriate access, when is appropriate access. And so people just come in and out, they take whatever they want, and they just go on their way. It's a bad situation. Also, self-control is not something we can just muster up within ourselves. Like, all right, I just have to try harder to have more self-control. Because Galatians says, the fruit of the Spirit is all those things, one of which is self-control. The fruit of the Spirit. So self-control is something that comes out of a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you think of an apple tree, an apple tree doesn't sit, well, an apple tree doesn't think, but if it did, it wouldn't think there, sit there thinking, I have to make apples, I have to make apples, I have to make apples. No, it just happens. An apple tree that's healthy will naturally produce apples. That's what it's designed to do, that's what it does. The fruit of the Spirit are the same way. I don't stand here thinking, all right, I have to be self-controlled, I have to be self-controlled, I have to be self-controlled. Because that won't work. If I have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if the Holy Spirit is living inside me, that fruit is naturally going to come out. And just like an apple tree has different seasons and fruit ripens over time, and some years you might get a more plentiful crop, some years you might get less of a crop, uh, The fruit of the Spirit are similar in some ways. Self-control is something that's expected of every believer to some degree. But the type of self-control Paul's talking specifically about here, some will have more of, some will have less of. You'll have seasons where you have more of it, you may have seasons where you have less of it. And that change in season, that change in the amount, should dictate to some degree uh, the course of action in your life. So, if you cannot exercise self-control... And he's speaking specifically here about self-control in the area of sex. 
uh, sexual relationships, sexual desires. So he's not self-controlled. Scripture talks about tons of different ways. But for the purpose of this sermon, that's what he's talking about. So if you can't exercise healthy sexual self-control, you should get married. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. And it's important to make a distinction here when he's talking about self-control, when he's talking about passion, he's not talking about sinful desires here. And he's not talking about sinful actions. He's talking about healthy, God-given biblical desire. If you're dealing with sin and sinful desire, that's a different issue. Then you don't need self-control. You need the gospel. You need to run to the cross. You need to go to God and say, God, help. I'm struggling with this sin. I'm caught up in this sin. I can't handle it. Help me deal with this. He's talking here about people who have healthy desire that comes about just because of how God has designed us as people and what you do with that desire. So everyone has those desires present. But what's it look like to burn with passion? So self-control looks kind of like a campfire. There's a fire there. It exists. It's present. But it's small. It's controlled. You can see in the picture... Like, you look at the picture and you can see all the different stuff. Oh, there's some flames there, that's cool. There's some wood, there's some stones for the fire pit. There's some grass, some trees or bushes in the background. Like, you can see the whole picture. You can be drawn, your eyes are drawn to different things in the picture. So that desire is there. It's a part of the picture, but it's not the whole picture. And it's not the biggest part of the picture. So that's what self-control looks like. It's present but it's not in control. It doesn't overshadow everything else. Burning with passion looks like a bonfire. Now this fire, look at how tall it is. It's almost as tall as the trees there. You can't see the fire pit. You can kind of see the wood at the beginning, but most of the wood is being completely consumed by the flame. The fire is the key component in that picture. It's the thing that draws your eye. It's the thing that's most prominent. If someone's walking by, it's the thing that they would notice. That's what it looks like to burn with passion. To have a passion that isn't just a piece of the picture, but it's the biggest piece of the picture, and it's starting to consume the other pieces of the picture. If this is what your life looks like, and you're single, according to Paul, you should get married. Now, that doesn't mean if today you're feeling that way, you need to leave, and today you need to find someone to marry, you need to grab a hold of Spencer and say, all right, I heard Jesse's sermon, I'm going to do what it says. Uh, are you free from like 6 to 6.30? I can get some witnesses and some family. I'm going to get married. No. There's obviously a process to this. And in the midst of going through that process, God will help you deal with that desire that's burning passionately. But if you're here and you're in a relationship with someone, you're dating or you're engaged, because uh, Paul here even though the title of the sermon is singleness, he's really more addressing people who are married and then people who aren't married. So that would be singles, people who are dating or in other romantic relationships but not married yet, and people who are engaged. So they're going to get married, they're on that path. If you are dating or you're engaged to someone and you're wondering if you're dating, like, how do I know when to propose? When's the time to get married? Like, we've been dating for a while, but I'm not really sure. Or you're engaged and you're trying to figure out, okay, how long of an engagement do we want? You know, what works well with family and everyone else? Uh, This is not the only thing you should consider. But it is a big piece you should consider. Ask yourself, what does sexual desire look like in your relationship? How is that playing out in your relationship? 
If it's playing out like a bonfire, that is God's way of telling you, hey, guess what? It's time to get married. If you're single, you're not in a relationship, and you're burning with passion, that is one of the signs God has given you that, hey, guess what? You don't have the gift of singleness anymore. It's time to pursue marriage. And as we said, marriage is a gift from God. It's not like, oh, you're one for the married people here and those dating and engaged. It's not like, oh, you poor people with such weak self-control. I'm so sorry you didn't have self-control enough to be single like me. No, it's not that at all. Because everyone struggles with self-control in some area. And it's a fruit of the Spirit. So it's not something that people do on their own anyway. And it's not a lesser option to end up married. Even though Paul says he wishes everyone was single, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But no, marriage is a wonderful thing. And it's something that God gave. And Scripture teaches it is what most people will have. Most people in life will end up married. And that's the gift God's given you. So this is what healthy burning with passion looks like. But burning with passion can also look unhealthy. So when you have a healthy sexual desire and you choose to resist the gift of God that he's given you in marriage, if you choose to resist God's gift and try and go a different way, it's going to cause a lot of problems. If you're trying to go against what God's trying to do in your life, it's going to end badly for you. And that is where healthy desire starts to manifest through sinful behavior. So that could be through pornography. It can be through unhealthy fantasy life. It can be through pursuing uh, sexual relationships and activities with people you're not married to. In extreme cases, if it continues, uh, Paul writes in Romans that the way God punishes sin, like we, we look around sometimes and we see people sinning and we're like, why doesn't God do something about that? And part of it is because God's patient and he wants to give people opportunities to turn from him. But he also says the way God punishes sin on earth now is he gives people over to their sin so that they sin more, both more frequently and more deeply. So if someone says, God, I don't want to go your way, I want to pursue sin in this area. And God says, no, come back to me, no, come back to me. And they say, nope, I'm going this way. And God says, all right. And he hands them over to that a little bit and they go deeper into sin. And then they keep doing that and they go deeper into sin. And that's why with sins that people struggle with, you see progression. You know, someone tells one lie one day and then a year later, every other word out of their mouth is a lie. The same is true with this type of sin. And so it can start with some of those other things. And then in extreme cases, we'll continue into more and more perverse and evil behavior. Uh, and that looks not like a bonfire, but like a forest fire. That's what it looks like to burn with passion, which is manifested sinfully. So even with the bonfire, it was still in the fire pit. It was still contained in the area it was supposed to be contained in. It was bigger, but it wasn't out of control. Sinful passion burns out of control. If you are burning with passion in your life, and you are not pursuing what God has for you, this is the ultimate end of that. You will burn your life to the ground and everything around you will be burned, and all you will have left is dust and ashes. That is the end result in any sin, not just this sin. Ultimately, it says sin leads to death. Sin burns your life to the ground. Thank God that Jesus Christ is stronger than our sin. Because all of us have areas of our life and times in our life when we've done this, and we've burned things to the ground, and we look around and it's like, what have I done? I thought that this thing I was pursuing was going to give me life, 
was going to be that nice bonfire that's warm and happy and fun to be around. And all I've got is a burned out forest of ash left. But just like a forest fire that burns and doesn't leave anything, the soil that comes from that actually stuff grows better in that soil. And in the same way, God can take the burned out forests of your life and bring amazing growth from it. Also a note, for those who are married. So it's interesting, Paul says, if you burn with passion, you get married. But you don't get married to get rid of that passion. You get married to have a healthy outlet for that passion. So those of you who are married, your marriage, in terms of uh, sex and that piece of your relationship, should look like that bonfire. That doesn't mean every moment of your married life is going to be that bonfire, but it is healthy and appropriate for you to have those times of bonfire in your life. Uh, it should not look like the forest fire. So, those four things. Paul wishes everyone was single. He acknowledges that's not going to be the case because some people don't have that gift. If you can't exercise self-control, you should get married. And one of the measures of that is, are you burning with passion? Do you have a forest? Do you have a campfire? Or do you have a bonfire? Both of those are healthy and both of those dictate uh, what your life should look like. If you have a forest fire that's burning out of control, run to Jesus and get help with that because that is unhealthy and you are in the process of burning down your life. So now, Paul's going to talk about why he wishes that everyone was single. 1 Corinthians 7, 32-35 I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to put restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. So the reason that Paul wishes everyone was single, even though he acknowledges that's not going to be the case because God has given some people the gift of marriage, is because he says here in 34 that people who are married have interests that are divided. So he says a person who is single can be fully devoted to the Lord. A person who is married hopefully is still devoted to the Lord, but they also think about their spouse. And so they've got that division of interests there, which sounds really weird. Really weird. Considering that God gave marriage, that was part of his design before creation, to say, oh yeah, so there's marriage and that's great, but really it's better to be single. Because then you can be fully focused on God. If you're married, you can't really be fully focused on God. It's like, well, this seems really bad. But that's not exactly what it means. So an example of this, uh, I'm an elder at Hiawatha. I'm on the elder board, the team of overseers, and we meet once a month. Uh, there are five other guys on the team. They're all married. So we'll meet, and we enjoy it. We enjoy meeting with each other. And usually at the end of the meeting, we'll have some action points to do between meetings, stuff that needs to be worked on or whatever. And so we'll kind of divvy those things up depending on people's schedules and whatnot. And there are times where uh, 
you know, we'll ask, you know, someone will ask one of the married guys, like, hey, Peter, can you take this uh, action point? And he'll say, yeah, I think so. Let me check with my wife and make sure. If it's some meeting or something like that, that has to happen at a specific time. They might ask me the same thing. Can you take this? And I'll think, okay, I'm not working at my normal, I work at my normal times, so that's not during work. Yeah, I can do that. So that's more of an example of what it means. Now, Peter, when he says he has to check with his wife, doesn't say that because he doesn't care about God and he's not devoted to him. He doesn't say that because he doesn't love Hiawatha. He says it because God has given him, his, given him a wife and part of his responsibility is to care for his wife. And so by doing that and checking first, he actually is being devoted to the Lord because he's exercising the gift that God has given him. He's honoring his wife. Marriage is a reflection of Christ's relationship with the church, so he's actually showing something about how Christ relates to his people. So it doesn't mean that people who are married have lesser devotion to God. What it means is that there are those times where marriage interferes to some degree just with your ability to do stuff that God has for us to do. And when you're single, that's not the case. However, that's not automatic. Just because you're single doesn't mean you're more devoted to God. Sitting around every day when you don't work and playing video games all day is not using your singleness to be devoted to God. So it's not an automatic that, oh, I'm single, so obviously I'm fully devoted to God all the time. Well, one, no one is fully devoted to God because we still sin. Two, just because you're single doesn't automatically mean you're more fully devoted to God because laziness comes in, selfishness comes in, and that's present whether you're married or not. But that's Paul's reasoning behind that. That's why he wishes people were, all people were single. Then he says, I want you to be free from anxiety, which it's interesting that so often when people talk about singleness uh, in the context of Scripture and the church, so often those conversations, people leave them feeling more anxious which is the opposite of what should happen. One of my main prayers for everyone this week as I was prepping this sermon is, God, I pray that when I'm done and I get to the end of the sermon and I pray and I walk down off the stage, that people are less anxious concerning the topic of singleness and marriage than they were when they came in and that uh, their undivided devotion to you, God, is more secured than it was when they came in. Discussions about singleness and marriage should free people from anxiety, not add anxiety to people. Singleness brings with it a lot of anxieties. Uh, as I said, I've been single my whole life. There have been seasons that have been really easy to be single, where it's just fun, it's enjoyable, I'm so thankful for it. There have been seasons that have been really difficult, where anxiety just kind of consumes me. Some of and. As many single people as there are in the room right now, there are that many different anxieties that people are struggling with. But there are a few anxieties that tend to be ones that most single people struggle with. So if I'm single my whole life, I'll be alone. Everyone else, they have someone to go through life with. They have a spouse, someone who's there all the time. I don't have that. Like, what if I'm still single 25 years from now? Well, what if I'm still single when I'm 60 years old? I'll just be alone. Am I going to be living in a house in South Minneapolis with six other guys in their 20s and 30s at 60 years old on the weekends out on Lake Nokomis kayaking and hosting gatherings and watching movies and all kind of, you know, playing games and conversations and all kinds of stuff? Maybe. Not 
really uh, what I'd most like for my life at 60 right now. But there's that fear. I've had those times laying in bed at night where you just lay there and think, is this all I'm ever going to have? Am I just going to be alone like this for the rest of my life? For a lot of people, if I'm single my whole life, I won't have children. I really want to have kids. It would be great to have kids. I think I'd be a pretty good parent. It would be so fun to be able to take everything that my parents have done for me and be able to share that with a child, to be able to shape a child like that, to see a child grow. Um, In terms of the passage of 1 Corinthians, if I'm single my whole life, I won't get to have sex. That seems like kind of a ripoff. I've heard sex is pretty okay. And then there are hundreds that we could talk about, but the last one I'll touch on. Uh, if I'm single my whole life, all my desires won't be satisfied. It's like, yeah, God says that he satisfies us. But, I mean, it's not like he's really going to satisfy all my desires. I need marriage for some of that. We all struggle with anxieties. We all struggle with fears, whether we're married or not. And for some of you who are single, it may surprise you to know that just because you're married... Those uh, ones I listed, it doesn't mean you won't struggle with those. Believe it or not, there are married people who are afraid of being alone. You're afraid of your spouse dying. Or you realize that your spouse isn't always there for you in the way that you thought they were going to be. And so even in marriage, you feel alone. Even in the same room with someone, you feel alone. There are married couples who can't have children. Just because you get married, it's not a guarantee you're going to have kids. The sex one, yeah, pretty much everyone who gets married has sex. But uh, it is probably not going to be everything you thought it was before you got married. It's going to be better in a lot of ways than you thought, and in some ways worse because of how you think about it. Uh, What we think about sex is so influenced by culture, which is not of God, it's of the world. And so, so much sin comes through in our shaping of that, that our picture of it, even as believers and even influenced by Scripture, has a lot of sin still present in it. And so we have uh, very unbiblical expectations. All my desires won't be satisfied. Shocking as it may be to hear, uh, another person will not satisfy all your desires, no matter how amazing they are. So marriage is not going to fix these problems. Those of us who are single but have Christ, we have, and those who are married but, and have Christ, your relationship with Jesus Christ is the deepest and best relationship you will ever have in your life. And I say that not just because I'm standing up here preaching and it's what you're supposed to say because it sounds very Christian and sounds like a very good thing. I say it because for 35 years I've been single and I've struggled with these things and Jesus Christ has been my satisfaction. And that does not mean that every second of every day I feel satisfied because I don't. That every second of every day, the truth of Christ's statement, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, meaning even when I feel lonely, I'm never alone. That doesn't mean I always feel that because I don't always feel that, but it is always true. It doesn't mean I don't ever desire marriage or the things that it offers. But Jesus Christ does satisfy. It doesn't always look the way you want. It doesn't always happen in the timing that you want. But Jesus Christ satisfies like no one else ever will. And that's true whether you're single or you're married. 
Jesus Christ is our ultimate satisfaction. So, with anxiety, how do we free ourselves from anxiety? The answer is we don't. God frees us from them. Philippians 4, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But, so instead of being anxious, do this. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which is beyond all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. How are we freed from anxiety? This passage is part of the answer to that. Realizing, one, the Lord is at hand. When we're anxious, when we're fearful for what the future is going to hold, because we don't know, just like in the song, that God knows the ends, which means he knows the means to get to those ends. And he's in control of that path and of those means and of those ends. He is at hand. So we don't have to be anxious. Instead, we come to him with requests. And some of those requests are, God, I'm feeling really anxious. God, I'm really angry at you because it feels like you just ripped me off because I'm not married and I can't have sex and that seems like a bum deal. God, I feel so alone right now and I'm afraid. And I feel like even though I know you're here, mentally I don't feel that. God, there are so many desires I have right now that I feel like you're not satisfying. What's going on? You said you would satisfy me and I feel like it's not happening. So those are the types of requests, the types of things we say to God. We can be honest with him because, I mean, he already knows everything you're thinking, anything, so there's really no point in trying to be dishonest with him because you can't. And the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds. Anxieties almost always flow from one of two things, either how we feel about things or what we think about things. Usually it's something related to the future and the unknown. We get anxious about it because we don't know how it's going to work out. We feel anxious about it. Those are the two things that God will guard with peace. He'll guard your heart and he'll guard your mind. He'll guard your emotions on things and he'll guard your thoughts on things. That doesn't mean you will never feel anxious. You will. It means that when you feel anxious, Jesus is there to help you with that and to guard your heart and your mind. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you. So, this is this verse for both marrieds and singles. If you're single right now, the things Paul has written are not to restrain you, to make you feel like, oh man, I'm single. So now I have to go with the singleness. I can't get married. This is kind of a bum deal. For those who are married and reading this and saying, so Paul says it's better to be single, but I'm married. Hmm. Well, now I've got all this restraint on me. Like, should I go and be single now? Should I leave my spouse? Like, what do I do with this? No, you should not leave your spouse. Marriage is the gift God's given you. But for both of these, Paul's desire is that this would benefit people and free people up, not put restraint on people. In Galatians, Paul talks about how God frees us from sin and he calls us to freedom. He doesn't call us to a bunch of laws that are going to weigh us down. He doesn't call us to live a life that we're just going to be dragging and it's going to be this horrible experience of him just putting pressure and pressure and pressure on top of us. He calls us to freedom, whether you're married or single. 
If you're married, he's called you to freedom through your marriage, and that's part of the freedom you experience. If you're single, he's called you to single to freedom apart from marriage, and that's part of the freedom you experience. So that freedom looks different for different people, but he's called us to freedom. It also says in the same passage, don't use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. He doesn't call us to freedom so we can live our lives and do whatever we want. He frees us up to be able to have relationship with him. He frees us up to be able to serve him because we're not able to do that apart from Jesus Christ and the cross. All we can do apart from that is sin. All we can do is go our own way. He frees us from that and in marriage or singleness calls us to himself and calls us to freedom, either with the partnership of a spouse or without that. And ultimately, what Paul wants to see happen here is he wants to see uh, he wants to promote good order and to secure undivided devotion to the Lord. So whether you're single or married, as you think about today or as you go on in life about singleness and marriage, ultimately, the hope in that is that that relationship would help you be more devoted to the Lord, would help you be more devoted to the Lord in a way that you're not divided. And that can happen, that doesn't just happen in singleness, that can happen with a spouse as well in marriage. So devotion, what are people devoted to? They're devoted to the things that they think are good, the things they enjoy, the things that satisfy them. Ultimately, undivided devotion to the Lord comes from satisfaction in Jesus. So if you've been at Hiawatha at all, if you've heard us preach at all, you know every week we preach the gospel. Gospel, gospel, gospel. It's all about that. It's all about what Jesus came and did. It's all about his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. And that's true of marriage and singleness. Whether you're married or single, if that's not the core of who you are, your marriage and singleness is going to be a very painful and unfulfilling experience for you. Ultimate satisfaction comes not from a spouse and not from having a lack of a spouse and having certain freedoms with that. Ultimate satisfaction comes from Jesus. A few verses from the Gospel of John where Jesus, speaking to various people, talks about this ultimate satisfaction that only he can give. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. And then a chapter later, on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. The reason that God, that Jesus is ultimately satisfying in a way that nothing else is, is because anything else that satisfies us in whatever way, if you eat a good meal and that meal's satisfying, it doesn't last. Eventually you're hungry again. You burn through the energy that food provides. In your marriage relationship, you have times with your spouse that are really satisfying. But though that moment in time doesn't last forever, those times come and go. Jesus Christ is steadfast like nothing else can be. He lasts like nothing else can. And so Jesus is satisfying in a way that nothing else can be. We all have hungers and thirsts in our lives. Both literal physical hunger and thirst and then other desires. Spiritual, emotional, mental, physical Jesus Christ can satisfy those in a way nothing else can because he can give a satisfaction that lasts 
and any other satisfaction you can get, a lot of those can be temporarily satisfying, but they don't last. So the hungers we have and the thirsts we have, we come to Jesus and he satisfies it. He calls it a spring of water. So a spring is a, uh, a self-perpetuating source of water. If you have a lake of water that doesn't have a spring, that water has to come from somewhere else. It has to come into that lake. If you have a spring, the spring provides the water and keeps providing the water. Jesus Christ, and specifically the Holy Spirit, for those who have believed in and trusted Jesus Christ, you have God inside of you. And God inside of you is a spring. It's self-renewing. It keeps going. As much of that spring as you take, as hungry as you get and feast on that, there will always be more. You can never take more than God has to give. He always has more to give. A few final thoughts on singleness and marriage, kind of in light of everything we've talked about. One, Hebrews 13.4 says marriage must be honored by all. That doesn't just mean everyone who's married, but by everyone. So if you're in this room and you're single, just because you don't have a spouse right now doesn't mean that you can completely remove yourself from the idea of marriage. I mean, 75% of Hiawatha is married people, so you're going to interact with people who are married. And Scripture commands us to honor marriage, to honor those who are married. What does that look like? It looks a lot of different ways. A lot of different ways. One example, so I'm single. I live in a house with other guys who are single and we'll have people over sometimes. Sometimes we'll have events where we have a bunch of guys over to you know, play games or hang out or whatever. And we'll be doing that and it'll be getting late. And some of the married guys, you know, they'll look at the time and they'll say, hey, it was great being here, had a lot of fun. I'm going to head home now, spend some time with my wife or spend some time with my kids. It can be easy in that moment to want to make fun of them. Like, oh, tied down to your wife, tied down to your kids, can't stay and have fun. Saying things like that, that's not honoring to marriage. That's not honoring to marriage. They're doing what God's called them to do. They're leaving something they enjoy, not to go and do something they hate. Oh, I have to go spend time with my wife. I have to go spend time with my children. But no, they're doing what God's called them to do. And when you mock them for that, you're not honoring them and you're not honoring their marriage. There are hundreds of examples of that for both men and women. But it's something to think about as you interact with people who are married. Are you honoring marriage? As you interact with them in the sphere of marriage, are they going to be less anxious and more free from anxiety after your interaction with them? Are they going to be encouraged to be more devoted to God? Or are they going to be weighed down with anxiety? Are they going to feel like being more devoted to God isn't something that's valuable? So, that's for single people. For those in the room who are married, uh, as you interact with people who are single, uh, sometimes single people say married people can get a little annoying. Asking about, you know, so are you seeing anyone? Do you have a girlfriend? Do you have a boyfriend? Are you thinking about getting married? Those questions are not necessarily wrong. But keep in mind, uh, for single people, keep in mind kind of the perspective of married people. God's given them a gift. Gifts from God are awesome. And as believers, of course, they have this great thing and they want other people to have it. So they see you as someone who's single and think, they don't have this awesome gift of marriage. I'm going to encourage them to have that. What they don't always think about is, you may not have that awesome gift of marriage because it's not what God's given you right now. He's given you something else. So for those who are married, as you interact with people who are single, 
I'm not saying don't ever ask them questions about dating or marriage. There are times where that's very appropriate and necessary. But as you talk to them, whatever your conversation topic, are they going to leave your conversation feeling less anxious about singleness and marriage? Or are they going to feel encouraged to be more fully devoted to God? If the answer is no, you need to change how you talk to single people. If the answer is yes, then you don't. So, conclusions. Marriage and singleness are both good gifts from God. Everyone in this room right now has one of those gifts. Those of you who are married, you've got an awesome gift from God. Don't seek to be separated from that gift. Don't desire singleness. Don't think, man, if I was single, I could be so much more devoted to God. Well, there are plenty of ways that you can be fully devoted to God in your marriage. And if your thoughts are just, I should be single to be more fully devoted to God, that shows that you're really not pursuing devotion to God. You're pursuing something that's going to let you be devoted to God without having to actually pursue God. So then separating yourself from your spouse is not going to make you more fully devoted to God. It's going to make you more fully devoted to yourself. Singles, you have a gift from God. You have a gift from God. For most people who are single, so probably most people in this room who are single, it is not a gift you will have for your whole life. Someday you will be married. You will exchange the gift of singleness for the gift of marriage. So be on the lookout for those signs. Be on the lookout for those changes in your life as they happen. Be on the lookout for God giving you those hints that, hey, you've had that gift of singleness, now it's time to shift and pursue the gift of marriage. But in the meantime, don't just think about that. Don't just look forward to that future date because God's given you a gift right now. He's given you freedom in time that most married people don't have. He's given you other freedoms that most married people don't have. And you have opportunities to use those for God's glory in ways that married people can't. Take advantage of that. Don't spend your singleness on your couch playing video games all day. Or insert whatever laziness, leisure activity. I'm not saying it's wrong to play video games, but if it's the only thing you do with your free time, you're wrong. Second point, it is good for those who are single to remain single. Unless they burn with passion and their self-control is overwhelmed, then they should get married. That's what scripture says. We think about marriage and we think about all the things like, how do I know if I should get married? Like, okay, I'm looking for someone with all these qualities. I'm looking for someone, yada, yada, yada. And we go down our lists that we make. And it's not bad to have those lists. There are other things besides this that matter in terms of marriage. But it's interesting to read through Scripture and see what its lists of qualifications are as you're looking for a spouse. Like, when should you get married and what should you look for in a spouse? The things it says to look for in a spouse are, are they a believer? And this, do you burn with passion to the point that your self-control is overwhelmed? Those are the only things Scripture really says and lays out as a framework for what you look for in a spouse. Now, those aren't the only things that matter. There are tons of other stuff that get wrapped up into that. So don't just look at those two things. But this is important. How you deal with sexual desire in your life, what that looks like, what your level of self-control is, is an indicator of where you are to some degree on that scale of singleness and marriage and what God's doing through that. And then finally, devotion to the Lord through the gospel frees us from anxiety. Jesus Christ is ultimately the only thing that satisfies. Those who are married, you're not going to be married forever. Probably eventually one of the two of you will die 
and the other one will be single for a season until you die. I know that's not something, as people who are married, you want to think about, but that is the reality of life. And even if something happens that you happen to die at the same time, in eternity, you are not going to be married to your spouse. And right now, that might seem like a horrible thing. Like, what do you mean God's going to take away this great relationship I have? That's so unfair. Why can't I have that? And we don't understand what exactly it's going to look like in eternity to be married to Christ because it's not going to look exactly the same as being married to your spouse. In some ways, it won't look anything like it. But we know who God is. We know the type of gifts he gives. And this is a gift that he gives. And so we know it's going to be good. Even if it doesn't feel like it, even if we don't understand how it can be, it's going to be incredible. Jesus Christ is the only thing that will ultimately satisfy you. So enjoy your marriage, enjoy your singleness, but realize that that is not your God. Jesus needs to be your God. Because if your spouse is your God, you're going to end up very disappointed. If singleness is your God, you're going to end up very disappointed. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for the gifts you give. Thank you for the gift of singleness that everyone in life starts with that gives them freedom to do certain things. Thank you for the gift of marriage that you give to most people who live. A gift that reflects in awesome ways your relationship with your people. That reflects in different ways the level of intimacy a person can have with you. uh, The level of acceptance we receive from you in our imperfection. We thank you for those gifts. I pray for everyone here, God, whether single or married, for that we would be freed up from anxiety through you, Jesus, that you would take anxiety in our lives and replace it with peace. I pray that you would encourage more undivided devotion to you. And I pray, God, uh, as we go through life, uh, especially I pray for those who are single, that for those who will be married someday, that you would show them very clearly when that process is starting, that they would look forward to that, but not live in the future, that they would live in the moments you have them in right now and use their singleness for your glory. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and respond together.